0: Hey everybody. Welcome to Sunday. We have a great VC Sunday School today. We're talking about founders who have other jobs, the various times that that can work and the many, many times when unfortunately we are unlikely to fund you if you have not quit your day job to focus 100% on your startup. And then I'm going to interview Joe Blair, the co-founder and general partner at Baybridge Ventures for This Week in Climate Startups. He is a climate investor who goes all the way back to the first clean tech wars. And Baybridge is a really interesting firm. It is specifically focused on ESG and sustainability. And we're going to talk about how they look at that, the metrics that they use to measure that in terms of their investing, and just this lens on venture capital. It's going to be a great show. Stick with us.
1: This Week in Startups is brought to you by linkedin jobs a business is only as strong as its people and every hire matters post your first job for free at linkedin.com/twist vanta compliance and security shouldn't be a deal breaker for startups to win new business vanta makes it easy for companies to get a soc2 report fast twist listeners can get $1000 off for a limited time at vanta.com/twist and Spoken is a workplace podcasting platform that's loved by startups like Robinhood and 15.5. They just launched Spoken Stories, a new way for companies to build connection and community remotely. Get three months free at getspoken.com slash twist. That's G-E-T-S-P-O-K-N dot com slash twist.
2: All right, it's Sunday. The longest week ever, Molly, for Jake <laughs> House. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. But <laughs> I'm, I'm alive. I'm here. i got to make it. it.
0: You're doing it. And he's still <sighs> teaching. He's still, people, Jason is still dropping the knowledge. You cannot stop I'm, him. I'm trying. Um, interesting conversation today that was sparked by a tweet. And and honestly, like conversations we've had over and over internally. Mm-hmm. I saw uh, a tweet by Alex Iskold in early stage BC at 2048 BC. Who said, and I quote, it is shocking to me how many founders have not two, but three or four currently active roles on LinkedIn, including CEO of several unrelated companies or consultancy or an investment fund. This is a massive red flag for me as a VC. Curious what other VCs think and if this is the new normal.
2: You know, listen, it's I'm the wrong person to ask about this because I have multiple projects, right? I do the podcast. I have inside.com and I invest. So I'm doing three things, uh, objectively. And, you know, this is not the way to have breakout success, especially early in your career. Uh, I would say in your 20s and 30s, you need to be laser focused on one thing and and secure the bag and be ultra focused. Now, there are three examples at scale of people being able to do this. One is Steve Jobs, who was the uh, owner and chairperson of Pixar, uh, and would spend a day there and then spend four days or five days at Apple. And obviously, Pixar and Apple, two iconic companies. Steve mm-hmm. Jobs, iconic entrepreneur. And of course, my friend Elon uh, running uh, SpaceX and Tesla concurrently. He did not want to run Tesla. It's been very, he was very clear about that publicly, so I'm not speaking out of school here. He, he went through four CEOs he tried to hire. Just nobody could pilot that fighter jet. And it really is. like Tesla's a fighter jet. And there's, I think, one human who can actually handle the controls of it. Now, that doesn't mean in 10 years like there might be... enough enough controls in place and automation or whatever, and a big enough team to do it. Um, But you know, he's a pretty unique individual in all the world in terms of his uh, energy level and focus level and brain power. And then there's Jack, uh, third example, uh, with Twitter, and Square, and I think everybody believes that was a failure. Mm -hmm. And Twitter floundered, uh, and had chaos. And according to all reports, it, he might not have been in the building enough, and, and that's really where you start to see this. Is listen, if everything's going well, and it's Steve Jobs, if it's Elon, you know, in that case, they were firing on all cylinders. They had very deep benches, and that really is what it becomes about. Is like, what's the bench like? And if you look, well, the at
0: company's it, already established. That's a In big piece, too. Right? Like, I mean, Apple was already, Steve Jobs had already resuscitated Apple by the time he went to Pixar. It wasn't like, mm, I mean, it wasn't he didn't have it the iPhone now. Yet.
2: He didn't have the iPhone yet. So, it was yeah, a little, it was that's a little true. shaky, actually. You can read the uh, book Creativity, Inc. We had Ed Catmull on this very podcast um, and, and Steve's biography. There were some shaky moments there. So, it, I, he almost didn't pull fair. it off. Fair, fair, fair. But, but so, it, did, it did work out after, but I think it's because he had such deep benches at both places he did have right. a big talent pool and he was he pixar needed him as an investor and they needed him to push them they didn't need him to write toy story or to you know come up with the characters
0: right whereas in the whole the, thing like you did with he, the bone all the way in, but the, let's, elon, let's in the elon let's get to like case the early though, early yeah
2: well hold on let me just give the elon case mm-hmm. in the elon case he was writing the story <laughs> he was creating the computer like Tesla and SpaceX, he's an engineer, he was literally engineering the rocket and the car concurrently, I, I, you know, I witnessed it firsthand. So that was different than Steve Jobs's situation. And so I don't think this works at scale. I don't yeah. think it works at low scale. I don't think yeah. it's a good idea. And I don't think it's a good idea for investors to invest in companies. I'll just put it straight out there with young, inexperienced, first time founders trying to do this, it will result in failure.
0: I mean, we talk increase your failure. It'll increase failure
2: this. by five to ten x, I would say,
0: yeah, because focus yeah. is what
2: it's all about, especially if you're trying to get product market fit. Okay, anyway, continue Molly. So Sorry.
0: what about, yeah, I mean, we talk about a lot about this internally. Like it is considered, I think it's fair to say, a red flag if a founder is not full time at a company. And also, there were plenty of people in the comments. Like I think clearly this is about a this is sort of a different thing where he's talking about like, you know, people, somebody's already a CEO and they're trying to start a new thing and they've got all these different jobs. Um, like you, but, <laughs> but like, but that's different from at least I according my to money. the responses on Twitter, right? Founders who are like broke, right? They're trying to bootstrap. They're trying to hustle a thing and they have to have sort of a day job. And but like, at what point is it fair to say that it's a red flag as opposed to this is how you try to hustle your way into building a company when you don't have a lot of support behind? You? Th-
2: this is, um, this is founders. When when we're talking about founders in their 20s, mm-hmm. this is founders looking at Elon or other people and um, having just too much opportunity and not having enough focus. And it's just a really bad idea. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was doing Silicon Island Reporter, I was doing nothing else. And when I say I was doing nothing else, Molly, in my, in my 20s, I was not sleeping. I was not going on vacation. I was not... I, I didn't drink for maybe 12 years I didn't have one drink I didn't do anything you just choir boy because I literally felt I had to work seven days a week because the magazine business was so competitive in the 90s I was in my office I kid you not seven days a week There, there were stretches where I probably worked 50 days in a row and I just took it as a personal pride to get on my scooter every Saturday and Sunday and go to my office and everybody who worked for me knew I'd be there Uh, from 11 to five ish. And then I would go to I would have breakfast, have a slow morning, I go to my office, then I would go to the gym or I play basketball in the mornings. And then I would go to the office every day, just trying to be more competitive. And then when I did weblog sync, that was the only thing I did. Uh, When I did Mahalo, only thing I did. And really, the only thing that really set me off on to doing multiple things was when Sequoia asked me to be a scout. And that was supposed to be a contained thing. And the problem was, I was just too good at it. And you know, and it just pulled me in. And here I am now still running inside doing great making millions of dollars. But would inside be doing better if I didn't have all the stuff? Of course, it would be and so but I have resources, I take $0 salary at inside. So Mm -hmm. people don't know that I haven't taken a salary at inside for five or six years. Mm -hmm. So the I would as a CEO of a company get paid 200k or something that's deployed into two other people. And so that's how I justify it. And you know, I, and the, the profile I have helps me grow other things. So if a founder was 27 years old, and they had sold their company, and they were sitting on, I don't know, $10 million in cash in their bank account, and they didn't take a salary at their startup, and they had a little fund over here, $10 million fund of which 2 million was their own money, and they had two partners on it, and they could stay focused, i.e. Raul from Superhuman. He has a little fund on the side. I'm an LP and, uh the first of that fund. He has a partner on that. Raul can stay focused on superhuman. And then any SaaS person he meets who's like, hey, Raul, can I get advice? He's like, yeah, what are you working on? They tell him, they oh, that's great. I, yeah, I'm happy to have a phone coffee or coffee with you. Meet my partner. We'd love to put money in. Mm-hmm. Raul will be a perfect example of somebody. I, I'm guessing Raul puts 10 hours a month into his venture fund, 20. He's got people over there. He also Mm -hmm. has resources he sold his company before so when you're in your when you're 35 to 45 and you got your chip stack Well, people don't see the resources those people have in order to make that happen I have a lot of resources. You see me like when we start a new project. We're like, oh, this is under-resourced. I'm like, great I just pick up a, you know, a duffel bag of cash and I throw it at the project Mm -hmm. Great go. Here's more resources, right? What do you think Elon does? Like, Oh, yeah, this company, boring company needs stuff, you can just chip off and just throw a bunch of resources at it. And he's also and the resources are not just cash. There might be two killers that he's got from one of the other companies. He says, oh, okay, two killers go. And I have that right. So I, I have somebody who worked at inside Kelly, for four years, and she wanted to be an investor she said, Hey, I'm working on inside. Is there any chance I can work as an investor? And I just told the whole inside team, you put in three good years at inside, I'll get you a gig at launch, and you can be an investor and I'll teach you how to be an investor. One person has done that. A second person is asking to do it. So I can move people from one company to the other. Elon can do that. Steve Jobs could do that. You know, so you you kind of, it really is about resources more than it is about the individual's time. But when you're young, you don't have resources. You don't have a huge chip stack sitting there. You don't have an army of people you've worked with. I can pick up the phone. I can call Brian Alvey. I can, you know, call people in my circle who I know are killers and say, I need help on something. Can I get, can I get 10 days? Can I get? Thirty days. Can I get you to work on this for a year? And I can move, you know, talent around, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I think, what a young person can't do. If you're a VC, you absolutely should not invest in any founder under 35 if they have four or five concurrent projects. Now you can have the conversation. Two, it seems like, honestly, even two, even two. As you gear up for Q4 and the fall, you need to have the best people on your team, and you need to be firing on all cylinders. You can't have any waste. And LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier for you to find the right candidates faster. And your first job post, if you listen to This Week in Startups, is always free. LinkedIn Jobs is the best hiring platform out there. We all know that. And how do we know it? Because we post all our jobs there. And we consistently, mm, chef's kiss, get our best candidates off of LinkedIn. If you need any more convincing, it's the world's largest professional network. With every couple of weeks, we have to update this number. 810 million people. Creating a new job takes just minutes. It's so simple and you can add that purple hiring frame around your linkedin profile you see that now so everyone knows you're hiring so if you're active on your feed and you're posting updates then people might see it go by they see you're hiring like i would like to work for that person boom you can also add screening questions which i love you can filter out all those non-serious candidates you don't want any drive-by resumes no you want people who want the job linkedin jobs helps you find the right candidates you want to talk to faster you know that and did you know every week nearly 40 million of the 810 million people on LinkedIn are looking for jobs. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash twist. Again, if you want to get it for free, you go to linkedin.com slash twist to
0: post your job for free terms and conditions, of course apply because they're giving you something for free. So if you're a founder and you're coming to raise money, like I understand you might have been bootstrapping, but it's, well, take it off your LinkedIn, but also it sort of seems like if you're, if you've been bootstrapping, you've been sleeping on the couch, you've been doing another job, when you're coming and asking for a million dollars or more, that's when you got to quit the day job, right? Like you have to
2: Oh, yeah, so If we're (laughs) just at day job, you're working at Google. I'm talking now I'm talking
0: day job, right? There's the you're running something else, and you're trying to start a new thing. Sure, that's one thing. But if you're bootstrapping with a day job, at what point do you need to clean that up and say I am going out and pitching to VCs now and they're going to want me to be full time on this.
2: If it's a side hustle, you cannot raise money for it. Under no circumstances, shouldn't invest. We had a company that we really liked. They were three or four partners, two or three, uh, say I think I'm just gonna make up a number here, four, three of the four were still working their full-time jobs at like, you mm-hmm. know, uh major tech firms. And every time they met with the VC, they're like, Well, when are you all gonna jump off? And they're like, Well, you know, we've got this like rest invest situation over here, we're making a ton of money. So it's like obviously this company is not a priority for you. And so you're basically signaling, if this company's not a priority for you. Why the heck should it be a priority for a venture capitalist who has other options? And this is what you've learned in the first six months. When you got here, you were like, took the guns out. You're like, I'm gonna fire some bullets. I was like, whoa, 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 put the gun down. Whoa, 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 whoa. We don't have that many bullets, Molly. FOMO,
0: FOMO, FOMO, Molly's fomo, like,
2: fomo like, Molly, 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 this is, We don't have a limited bullet here. I was like, hey, put the guns down. Here's the sniper. Right. Back away from Lay the down. Check- take a deep breath. <laughs> put the sights on something and just breathe and slowly squeeze the trigger. And let's, you know, hit it, right. And so you got to hit the target, you know, and and, and that's the the key here is VCs have their choices. And now you have so many choices, right? So I've watched as your book of business has grown, you got all these great founders, you got all this great opportunity. And you're like, you know what, the same company, you would have been like, we got to do this, or why aren't we doing it? And it's like, now you're like, you know what, uh, I need to see a little more, I'm going to turn over a couple more cards, I want to see this company get from two pilots, to eight paying customers I, and I want to see why people churn and they need to fill these two positions, I'll talk to them in six months. And then that would be the right window for us to to invest. And so that's what happens with all VC's is they think like, this is the only window to invest. And then you realize, oh, well, if this company is going to be going to make it, it's going to be around for 10 years. And I'm in early stage. So I have four years. And it's year two. So I got two more years to Place a bet here, and I'm Molly Wood. I'm Jason Caligannis. I, you know, whatever. I have the. They're going to take my money. It's green. They want me involved. I, I can wait. And so founders need to understand that dynamic as well. If you're waiting and it's your side hustle, we're going to wait. But why wouldn't we wait? Why would we take more risk than you? You own eighty percent of the company. We own five. We own ten. You're not committed, and you own eighty percent. Well, you obviously don't think this is going to be a billion dollar company, and we're here to build billion dollar companies. So. Okay, if at some point you get you're sending such a bad signal is what this is about. Now, you know, I met this really nice kid. He's an Indian kid. Uh, He sat next to me on the plane. He's like, Are you Jason Calacanis? Why are you sitting in coach? And I'm like, because it's cheap. (laughs) I'm cheap. I was like $129 and they wanted 1200 for the seat up there for one hour. I kind of take the 140 bucks $1,000 and save the money. Anyway, I talked to this kid, he's Indian, he's got a lot of Indian friends. And he's a developer. And he's like, what should I do with my career? How do I like what, where should I go? I was like, you should host this stuff. Like, I said, if you got all your friends are Indian, why don't you go create a, a, a group of Indian developers, and you can all get together and share your life and, you know, whatever your your culture. And because you're all at UCLA, and you miss your families wherever, So you get to, you know, maybe all, you know, cook a meal or, or talk about your, your common interest. And then you, I said, you'll have a list of 100. Indian developers at UCLA, and you're going to be the person running it They said just make everybody dinner and get those 100 emails and you could have your your little group. He's like, I never thought about that. I was like, yeah, be be the host be the ringleader. So okay, now I meet that kid, let's say and he does this monthly dinner. And it's on his LinkedIn. And he starts a company, uh, which is a dev shop or it's a dev tools. It's dev tools. Perfect. And I say, wait a second, every month, you have 120 year old UCLA developers who've immigrated from India and are here, and you're making dev tools, and you get to show it to those 100 people, or you could hire the best ones to work at your company. All right, well, this is accretive to the company. This would help the company. This isn't a VC fund to go invest in people and be distracted and try to solve their problems. This is like, oh, wow. So, you do, you do need to think about that. So, if I have a podcast, if, uh, let's pick a company, in our part, a sale plan. Let's pick one of your companies here. So, let's say sale plan decided they wanted to do a podcast. And we're like, oh, God, you're doing a podcast? Great. It's going to take 10 hours a month mm-hmm. of your life for the CEO. Mm-hmm. Let's say the founders did the podcast, and it's about measuring and metrics in carbon and et cetera. And right. it's
0: about carbon, totally understanding fuel usage and shipping and commercial shipping and ports. It's a shipping and decarboni- podcast. They started shipping podcast. ports. It's a shipping podcast. I'm Even like, better, super. Right? open the aperture. O-
2: okay, yeah. you're going to do forty uh, podcasts. It's going to cost you a thousand podcasts. It's going to cost you forty thousand dollars. It's going to cost you ten hours per podcast. It's it four hundred hours. You're going to split that work between two founders. Two hundred hours. And then all the shipping people in the world are going to be listening to you as experts talk about shipping great do it. Yep. So is it in line and how much time in line and time it's about resources and people are resource constrained. So yep. if the project helps the, the mothership great. Great. You know, mm-hmm.
0: fantastic. So just think of th- Love it. Yep. Love it. So founders, if you're going to split your focus, choose wisely. That's what we're saying. Look at the
2: percentage. Is it 2% of your time or 20%? If it's 2% and it helps the mothership or it otherwise makes your life great, nobody cares. When it hits yeah. 20%, yeah.
0: And if your probably, company is your side hustle, that's a deal breaker. <laughs> I just, mean,
2: come on, man. It just what, are is. It just is. what are we talking about here? What are we talking about here? You're working at Google and then you're doing some stuff on the side. Like, I get it. If you're doing it on the side and you're working at Google and making 300 grand in RSUs and comp and your side hustles making you $100,000 a year more power to you, but don't ask us to fund it. You know, like, we, we need we need to be all in here to hit goals. That's it. Very simple. So, but I, you know, Alex, uh, you know, doing this, he, I, I know Alex, he, he had a startup himself uh, back in the day. And he seems like he's a really good investor. And it seems like, a, you know, he would be helpful to a startup. Mm-hmm. I think what he's trying to say here is like, he wants to see people succeed he doesn't say this, but I think this is what I didn't read his full thread if it's got more points to it. But I think he's concerned about the founder's success mm-hmm. Like, is the founder going to succeed. And that's really what this is about. We, we don't want to back founders who have set themselves up for failure, the VCs. And this is where alignment comes in. This is the beauty of the Silicon Valley system. It's the beauty of an American system. It's the beauty of capitalism when it's run properly with the shares in companies. We're all aligned to see these 100 million shares valued at a penny each, or let's just say 10 cents each. you know, you got 100 million shares valued at 10 cents each. We all want to see them go to a dollar, and then we want to see them go to $10, and then we want to see them go to $100. Like we're all in it together. And if you're not focused, the share price doesn't go up, and you know who gets hurt the most is the founders because they have the most number of those 10 cent shares. We want to see you succeed.
0: Uh, That has been VC Sunday School. And speaking of focus, actually, super interesting uh, This Week in Climate Startups interview Mm, coming up next. I love the
2: algae company last week. I'm really... uh, when, When Sunday comes around, I... I, I mean maybe i shouldn't say this but i start with your interview and then i go back to our discussion on vc sunday school <laughs> i don't want to tell people to skip ahead and, and well, go. But already for there. me it's for me it's super interesting i'm like a fan now because i'm just trying to understand and in your interview techniques i told you this privately really you've you, you got the both sides of the blade are sharp here people so like molly's a little bit of a monster here in these interviews she's just hacking limbs. It's good. It's the good mindset,
0: stuff. the mindset's starting to change. I can feel the shift. It's great. I love it. Osmosis. Yeah. It's working. Mm-hmm. Osmosis and a learning environment. is yeah. you know, I mean, our it's our good. PD's good. is a learning environment. PD, PD is good.
2: We like our yep. PD here. Professional development.
0: This is, I think you'll be interested in this because this is so. actually an investor. I took a little bit of a departure away from, like, all the cool sci-fi companies with the mushrooms and the algae. And, the, like, although I have this, like, alternative propulsion fuel thing that I got to do. Anyway. Great. This is uh, a very focused investor, co founder and general partner at Baybridge Ventures, which is actually new, brand new over in oh. Berkeley. Uh, and But he's been a climate tech investor for a long time, like Clean Tech 1.0 SCARS kind of thing, mm. and has started, uh, co founded an ESG and sustainability focused venture capital firm. Mm. I'm super interested to hear your thoughts on this. He also hosts a podcast called The Epic Human, and Great. it's a really Interesting interview about a mission-oriented venture capital firm.
2: Is he uh, E comma S comma G or is he E period S period G? Hey, we'll find out. Listen to this. We'll find out. We'll find is, out. ESG. There it is. Folks. Well, it's
0: actually, and he's he's separating in some ways. And I was kind of interested in digging into this ESG one category, climate tech one category, not ah. necessarily the same. And I think that's actually a really important distinction. That the more we, the more we make, the more. Um, we're in a new we'll
2: territory here. Yeah. This is. Yeah, exactly. This, the it's climate like is just totally new. Even though it's been going on for 10, 15 years, mm-hmm. th- those are kind of like the clone wars. Like it's like this thing that happened before what's happening now. You yeah. know, and most of the things, the the failure rate of that, whatever we're going to call it, 15, first 20 years of climate technology, you know, with um, Vinod Kosla and John Doerr and a lot of those yeah. folks, I mean, they just. Incinerated billions of dollars to kind of build the setup for what we're doing now. And right? I, you know, I so mean,
0: they planted all the seeds. And yeah. and even though, you know, and it, I was actually saying this last night at an event, I'm like, look, it took 20 years. That's outside the life of their fund. Their investors are not happy. But mm-hmm. th- some of those early, especially a lot of the solar investments, some of that billion dollars that John Doerr put in has returned $2 billion. Yeah, it's just not it just venture 20 returns. Years. It's just yeah, not it took, venture it took returns. A long it time. took too long. It wasn't the time schedule,
2: and it wasn't the multiple, but I think that means that this could be the window. Exactly. But also, we still could be early, but that's the... Yeah, and maybe, hey, maybe we're a little bit early, or maybe it's going to have a different return profile, but it does feel primed right now. It does feel like a lot of components
0: We're like one minute too early, but finally we have a healthy ecosystem around this, which is that the government Hmm. has now said... We will fund yeah. basic research, science, and R and D. Got a customer. Th- then it can become our job to commercialize. Yeah, like,
2: and they're customers too, aren't they? Like, if they're going to say, customer, "Oh yeah," the
0: government's a buyer now for our companies, a hundred percent.
2: So if they're, you know, it, it, we're starting to see the emergence of buyers, and it's not just feel good high fiving, which I think, you know, is a very important thing. If people have to see an opportunity here, uh, you know, for profits and, and for return on investment roi dare i say and the mm-hmm. technology everything that's happened in sensors happened in cloud computing you know the iphone you know all this stuff is kind of becoming the underpinnings it feels like for some change there so i, I use the sale plan example a bunch but you and know, clarity if, i mean both my, both
0: of my first two investments are in the measurement space which is a really investable and necessary category
2: and they use a SaaS business model and so mm-hmm. we we got 20 years of SaaS software here you know since uh, you know benioff said like hey you know no more software everything's in the cloud so cloud computing has been really well established the business model the the the, the techniques for building the software the security mm-hmm. all that so now you got that foundational layer is done okay now we go to sensors okay that's done you know yep. we have tons of sensors in everything whether it's planes or phones or cars like the sensors are everywhere and the sensors are commoditized so you don't have to build the sensor. The sensors are, you know, well, in and Taiwan and China. Like both of
0: them have a a cheap hardware component. Which, you know, I think which we're we're seeing a lot. Like climate a lot of the climate tech unicorns blend some cheap hardware component with the right, they're like hardware as a service or their hardware and their software. But they're not high intensity hardware, if that makes sense.
2: Well, unless, yeah, unless you want to back like an uh, electric aeroplane or something, you know, or you know, electric yeah. cars. You know, those things are going to be money incinerators. They're going to be I mean, really I talk, hard to fund. I you
0: know? start, st- you'll just, you don't even want to hear it. I started yesterday with a rocket company. I was like, I think we already know a rocket company, and that's <laughs> yeah. going to be a tough one. Anyway. It's tough one, yeah. It's um, hard. It's know, really hardware's
2: hard. But hardware-enabled ena- hardware SaaS, or right. using hardware to enable something else to happen, and that hardware is a commodity, and you're not trying to make money from that, the software layers, or the, you know, whatever layer is driving the returns and that's super compelling for me at yeah. least yeah so great yeah. job i can't wait to hear it enjoy everybody
0: i agree enjoy, enjoy your,
2: and enjoy your sunday everybody
0: yeah we'll a see day you tomorrow rest.
2: if you're a SaaS or services company that stores customer data in the cloud then you need to be SOC two verified from a third party if you're going to close big deals no SOC two compliance no closing major customers no lighthouse customers for you oh no And Vanta makes it so incredibly easy for you to get and renew your SOC 2. On average, Vanta customers are SOC 2 compliant in just two to four weeks. Compare that to three to five months without Vanta. And they partner with over two dozen audit firms who have been trained to file SOC 2 reports directly within Vanta. This is a total no-brainer. Uh, <laughs> it's such a no brainer I invested in the company I got a little slice I got a taste I wet my beak tons of my portfolio companies and my founders use Vanta and my bestie David Sachs led the last round of financing what an amazing company congratulations to everybody of have at Vanta and here's the best part Vanta is going to give you $1,000 off that's right get $1,000 off at vanta.com slash twist that's
0: v-a-n-t-a.com slash twist for $1,000 off your sock too right now Joe Blair is co-founder and general partner at Bay Bridge Ventures right across the bridge from me. No, wait. Same side of the bridge as me. East Bay. East Bay. Berkeley, California. <laughs> which is, I'm going to let you describe this better, but which is the first purpose-built institutional ESG and sustainability-focused venture capital firm. You also host a podcast, the Epic Human Podcast. I want to take a whole bunch of those things like in order. First of mm-hmm. all, tell me about the thesis and- why would you be the first to do this?
3: <laughs> sure, sure. No, th- thanks for the, the question, Molly, and, and great to be here. Um, so uh, so uh, I'm a co-founder and general partner at Baybridge Ventures. As you mentioned, uh, we're the first purpose-built ESG and sustainability-focused venture capital firm. I was actually uh, speaking on a panel just last week um, in Palo Alto, and uh, the organizers of the panel called out that we are... The first north american firm that he was aware of that like had esg you know explicitly in our branding mm-hmm. so um so that's been that's been confirmed elsewhere beyond uh, beyond just ourselves but uh but basically what we're doing is we we built a, a new type of firm that's focused on climate tech health innovation and inclusive capitalism uh, and we're we have a multi-stage strategy where we can invest seed through series c and we actually built our own esg methodology after Couple of years actually of uh, behind the scenes work, consulting with some of the world's leading experts around ESG and sustainability, um, to develop this comprehensive, holistic stewardship model that we think is really unique and, and industry leading. Um, so I can't say too much about it because some of it is pri- proprietary, but um, I can tell you that it's it's not um, it's not simple, and it's more than just a kind of a check the box uh, type of exercise. But uh but yeah we launched the firm in uh February of 2022 and as you mentioned we're uh, across the bay bridge in Berkeley uh in the same building actually as Skydeck uh and uh just a couple blocks from UC Berkeley. Skydeck of course
0: is the incubator that is related to Berkeley right to the Correct. on the Cal campus, yep. Correct. So uh smart location there, good co-location in terms of snapping up young talent early. Absolutely. <laughs> I want to, before I ask you more about how this plays out in terms of investing, you have lots of investing experience, Chrysalix, Chrysalix Venture Capital, uh, Obvious Ventures, a principal at Coda Capital. How did all of that kind of get you here? Like, certainly, Obvious, I know well as a mission driven, but not impact investing firm. How did your experience lead you to like? Okay, we're going to do this very specific thing with this very specific purpose. Raise our own fund, and there will be a market for this. Yeah, I appreciate that
3: question. Um, perhaps it, it might be helpful to go like just one or two steps further backward, um, just to, to kind of set the context. How do I, I even ended up in venture capital, um, which I really never expected to be? So I I went undergrad uh, to Lehigh and, and studied mechanical engineering, um, and then. I stayed on to do a master's there um, focused on software to control complex physical systems, so atoms meeting bits. Um, Mm -hmm. And I actually did my master's thesis on uh, controlling plasma in a nuclear fusion reactor. So that was my first kind of entree into the the energy industry. And uh, after that, I went and joined a big Fortune 500 company uh, called Ingersoll Rand as part of their engineering leadership development program, which basically had me moving around the United States working on, on different business units primarily focused on product. And it was a great program. But uh, along the way, I personally became very uh, concerned uh, about climate change. And so uh, I decided to take a risk and uh, change my path and, and go join a venture-backed clean tech startup. Uh, and when I did that, I realized that you know, A, I'm definitely a small company startup type of guy. That was my, the world that I wanted to be in. Uh, B, I was really fascinated by technology. So, again, kind of tying back to the Adam's meets bits of my my education. And the third piece is I loved working at a mission driven organization. All that said, it was a a fantastic fantastic experience, but I knew I needed to learn a lot more about business. So, that's what led me to go to Harvard Business School to get an MBA. And while there, I started my own company. Um, It was a D2C retail tech company focused on sustainability, ran that for about a year but then ultimately uh felt called to venture and specifically going after some of these large kind of fundamental challenges and so uh like you said i i went and joined a clean tech venture capital firm after graduating business school and this was 2013 if you remember so it was a it was a pretty contrarian approach um at least in the eyes of some of my classmates and and a a handful of professors because at that time clean tech and venture capital were, were it was kind of like a, a contradiction and, and it was it was kind of well understood that that doesn't work
0: they were having this is like during the messy breakup period of clean tech and venture capital right exactly yeah this, uh-huh. i mean we had whole
3: cases about why clean tech for venture capital doesn't work yeah um and we also and this was uh post Cylindra. yeah but just going back to me kind of with this kind of contrarian kind of uh, approach that i have i felt very strongly that uh climate change wasn't going anywhere and it was, it was going to continue to be a worse and worse problem over time. And I also had a thesis uh, that the only thing that was going to get us out of it was technology. I mean, policy is, is also important, but my view then as well as my view now is that technology is the primary way to solve climate change. So I went and joined this firm. It, it was a fantastic experience. I got to learn about all the different uh, kind of subcategories within climate tech. And quite frankly, I got to see some of the fallout of clean tech 1.0 um, from, a, from a firsthand point of view and got to see all the things that didn't work, the technologies that didn't scale, the products that weren't profitable. And so it was an amazing learning experience. But at the same time, I got to see and invest in the seedlings of what has now become the climate tech 2.0 trend. And so it, it was an amazing experience. Um, and then as you said, um, I got to do some co-investing with obvious ventures who uh, hired me. And that's how I ended up moving down to the Bay Area. And then later I was recruited to... And Obvious was great because I got to do not just climate tech investing, but also health, uh, fintech, and a few other categories. And then I was recruited by a larger firm called Coda Capital, where I was able to continue investing seed through Series C in all of the same categories with uh, an even heavier emphasis on AI, ML, and, and scalable enterprise tech. So it, it was kind of all these, these experiences coming together uh, in a unique combination that I think put me in a very unique position to launch this kind of a firm. And then tied to that was meeting my two partners. My one partner, Andrew Karsh, uh, was working at CalPERS. He spent 10 years at CalPERS managing direct investments. Before that, he spent 13 years building investment strategies at Credit Suisse in London, as well as New York. And then my third partner, uh, Kim Colt who uh, built her own VC platform called Four Good Ventures, investing in all the same categories that we invest in now, climate tech, health innovation, and inclusive capitalism, at the early stage uh, for the last seven years. And then before that, she was Goldman Sachs and Wharton. And so we all came together uh, close to three years ago um, around this common vision for a, a new type of venture capital firm that, as you stated, is focused on ESG and sustainability. And, uh, and then we, we sort of crystallized our strategy towards the end of 2021 and, and, uh, and then launched in 2022.
2: You got all these remote workers, right? They're feeling disconnected. Maybe they're burnt out, doing too much Zoom, and they miss connecting with all of their amazing teammates. Well, Spoken, S-P-O-K-N, is a workplace podcasting platform that is loved by startups like Robinhood, 15.5, and Udemy. These are uh, three companies that I'm a shareholder in or was a shareholder in. And Spoken just launched a new way for companies to build connections and community remotely. It's called Spoken Stories. You know, on Instagram stories, they, uh, you know, let you belong as an individual. You share stuff about yourself. Well, Spoken Stories is a little different. They belong to you and your company team. So anyone in that group can add a 30-second video or an audio clip of what they're working on, what they're doing, and then share it with the whole company. You can create stories about anything. You know, hey, here's my win for the week or the day. Here's some shout outs. I want to say what heroes inside my company have done a great job this week. Imagine your own internal version of Instagram or TikTok that let everybody feel great about being in the company. It's addictive. It's asynchronous and it's fast, but it creates a lot of humanity and lets you build that culture. You're going to get three months for free. Just go to getspoken.com slash twist. Get S-P-O-K-O. N.com slash twist. I want you to drop the E because it's so excellent. dot com slash twist for three months free. Let's get back to this amazing episode.
0: So, what about the the fundraising process for you? And then the the investment thesis, would you say is different? You know? Like mm. are you deploying differently? Do you have a longer fund life? Have you uh, is it impact investing or have you communicated a different type of return structure? Two LPs, or none of that. Are you like, nope? It all works exactly the same, but sure. does better.
3: Sure. Uh, so we are a very standard, typical ten-year lifetime venture capital fund. Um, part of our thesis is that you know historically investing in some of these categories has been viewed as concessionary. Our view is that this, you know, these three themes represent the. Uh, the most promising and exciting investment opportunity of a, of a lifetime, independent of the impact, whether it's environmental or, or on human or humanity, um, that that these companies will have. And basically, what we we believe is that these three themes uh, not only are they uh, are they very compelling in venture investment opportunities individually. There's also particularly interesting opportunities at the intersection of all three of those themes. So We think going after all of those three. Three themes collectively has some additional advantages. And then the other piece that's different now than then is what we, we we've seen is that you have all these foundational technologies, whether it be, you know, AI and ML, uh, robotics and automation, energy storage, semiconductors, advanced materials that are all have all evolved and matured over the past five to 10 years in other industries that are now coming together in unique combinations to unlock applications, new applications in all three of these themes. So that for us is is why kind of it's the right time. It's the right team. We've been investing and in building in these categories for 15 years um, with a track record of seven exits. And it's the right strategy um, to go after it.
0: I like the little, I like the mic drop there. Just <laughs> the track record of seven exits. Just saying, NBD. <laughs> So when you think about these three themes, you know, it's fascinating to me how many people like people just say ESG as a shorthand for some whatever they mean at any given time, environmental, social and governance. How does that turn into a like, can you give me an example of a company that you think might encompass all three of those themes?
3: So we're talking about two different things, right? So we're talking about um, investment themes, right? So, So for us, that's climate tech, health innovation and inclusive capitalism. And then on the ESG side, we're talking about environmental, social and governance. And so those are, are kind of two different uh, paradigms that overlap in, in a lot of different ways. Um, but what I would say is that, you know, there's traditionally on the ESG side, it's been primarily used in the public markets, right? And primarily as a negative filter for tobacco, firearms, fossil fuels. And it, it really has is a lot easier in the public markets to track these things because all the data is public. And there has definitely been some ESG washing that I think we've seen in the public markets, which is quite frankly, is why there's been some backlash. Um, so there's some work to do, I think, in our in our industry and in trying to educate people as what ESG actually is. Mm-hmm. But then you take that and you apply that kind of methodology to the private markets, and it's much different, right? Data is not publicly available. What's appropriate for the particular stage of company is different. What's appropriate for a series C company is not necessarily what's appropriate for a, a series A company. So that's why we had to kind of go back to the drawing board and redefine the way we see ESG on a daily basis and what that means for companies, not only in terms of how we make the investment, um, the themes we go after, but also how do we help the companies over time stay true to their mission and to their values?
0: Right. But it does sound like you're describing, and I think we're seeing this, this is almost the sort of larger philosophical question. We're seeing this split between, like, there may be climate tech companies. Those are not ESG companies, despite the E. And then in some cases, we might start separating climate and pure climate solutions from ESG, right? And that that might be okay or necessary in some cases. Yeah. I, again,
3: I, 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 view them as two separate, um, kind of, uh, yeah. frameworks yep. that, you know, also like to be, to be honest, they're, they're very interrelated. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, but it's hard to, you know, completely separate them. And it's also hard to, to kind of try to map them one-to-one but on the governance side, I think that's kind of a piece of ESG that's quite that's actually spoken about. I think the least, mm-hmm. um, but may actually be the the most important or one of the most important. As you think about you know companies like WeWork that lost forty billion in valuation because of a governance issue, right? And how can you implement the right kind of governance at the right time in a company's life cycle, such that they prevent that kind of value destruction?
0: Yep. Um, does that suggest you intend to be a little more active as a fund in the in the governance department?
3: Uh, yeah, the, I mean, absolutely. Like the E yeah. and the S and the G are all key parts of our, our ESG methodology.
0: Yeah. Tell me about the methodology, uh, which you've called ESG plus to the extent that you can, because you said, you know, it's proprietary, but it's an integrated into the investment process. What does that mean to integrate it into the investment process? and what can you tell us about it how it works?
3: Sure, sure. So, so there, there's a little bit of secret sauce in there that I, I can't uh, necessarily divulge, but um, b- because it did take us a very long time to, to come to what we've built today. But what I can tell you is that um, on the S side, right? So if you think about um, diversity, a lot of people think of it as just sort of a, again, sort of a checklist or a, you know almost like a, like a survey. Um, but the way we think about it is there's diversity in, there's diversity out. So diversity in is who's on the team today, who's going to be on the team in the future, how do you help uh, the companies with the recruiting practices, and then diversity out, who are the stakeholders that are going to be impacted by this by this uh, this company and this technology. So those are all kind of incorporated in, into our methodology.
0: I'm not trying to pry. I just can't help mm-hmm. it in the journalism way. I mean, are you running stuff through a program? Are you scoring Mm-hmm. Investments? Right, okay, okay. <laughs> I'll plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> it's just so interesting. What's also interesting is, I think, is this question of intentionality. You know, we had a little bit of a debate um, on our show last week as we're recording this about Frank Sloopman of Snowflake saying, you know, I'm not going to like, sure, diversity is great to have, but I'm not going to effectively, I think he was saying slow down for it. Right. Or uh, the words he used, which I think are quite unfortunate, was override merit. And (laughs) yeah, and and the, the sort of the whole point is that there has to be intentionality and care. And also we're in an industry, venture capital, that has failed to make a lot of meaningful progress around diversity. And you could argue governance also. And so I wonder, you know, like according to the Stanford Social Innovation Review, only five of the top 50 BC funds have even mentioned ESG or commitment to sustainability. Like how important is it to just fly this banner? So so I have to chuckle a little bit because I I don't know this person that that you
3: referenced, but the reason uh, so so first off to to just state the facts um, and you're probably aware of this and your listeners are too but some people don't know this so it's worth repeating is that of the United States uh, AUM that's privately managed uh, only one point four percent is managed by diverse or female managers right so that you know considering females are fifty percent of the population fifty five percent of college graduates it's it's really a stunning number and then so so the way we look at it is that diversity is is actually a strength um so if you look at the latest research from harvard business school what they'll show you is that venture capital teams that have heterogeneous genius makeup will outperform homogeneous teams by up to 32% so um, again it, this kind of ties back to our earlier conversation about like this this historic viewpoint around things being concessionary exactly if you think about it in the, the opposite, opposite way it's actually a major advantage and that's why we launched um, you know our firm as 60% uh, diverse owned and managed and also you know have put in place policies and uh, and values to ensure that we make sure that our our investment team is continuously um, very diverse from both a female and underrepresented community member point of view
0: yeah. And then on top of that, on top of addressing this already serious issue that's really complicated and tricky and takes time and intentionality and care, you're going super hard tech. Synthetic biology, AI and big data, advanced computing sensors and IoT, obviously, you know, as you said, this is part of your background. Um, Tell me about your research and and diligence process and evaluating these really hard tech things that, you know, you're still seeing Lots of VCs in the climate space and elsewhere stay away from. Sure,
3: sure. So, so just to to frame it, you know, on one hand, you have uh, you have you know fantastic organizations like Breakthrough Energy Ventures and and other types of organizations that do have that longer time frame in terms of the returns that are expected and they're really working on those moonshot type of ideas that may take 5 to 10 years to develop the technology. And then on the other side, you've got you've got a number of 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 firms that are maybe newer to climate tech that say, "Hey, we'll just use our our Silicon Valley software playbook and we'll just do software." We are more uh kind of in the middle in that we have deep experience in evaluating and investing in these fundamental technologies um, that I mentioned earlier. Um, so we're capable of understanding and evaluating the technology. We have uh, industry experience and operating experience in some of these industries. And one thing, another thing that's different between now and 15 years ago is that the supply chains for a lot of these technologies has really evolved considerably um, which, which kind of de-risks a lot of these, uh, companies that are putting together unique technologies in different, uh, and unique applications.
0: So it sounds, I mean, it sounds like, and this is probably, this is very wise. In my opinion, it sounds like you're saying we're not going to throw software out with the baby, right? (laughs) Like we're going to with the bathwater. Like if it's a great (laughs) solution, we're going to go for it, but we're not going to be scared of hardware or hard tech. Exactly right.
3: Exactly right. We, there, there will definitely be um, amazing climate tech opportunities that are strictly software, and we are very excited and, and, uh, to invest in those. That said, what, what makes us a little bit more unique is that we are open to uh, and excited to invest in some of these other harder tech technologies, most of which, by the way, are
0: also enabled by software. Yes, definitely. I think somebody made the point the other day that most of the climate unicorns, if not all, are hardware and software. At this point, what are you super into? Like, are there certain categories of all of this that, you know, as you dig down even further that you're really excited about? There's a lot of themes.
3: You know, I, I get this question a lot. I would say that, you know, I'd almost take the opposite approach at this point where, you know, we've sort of been immersed. All three of us have been immersed in all of these categories for so long that we're not necessarily hunting in any one of them in particular, but when we but because of our experience, when we see an opportunity in one of those spaces, that's a step change or or a game changer in that specific category, we recognize it right away. And we we go very aggressively.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there well, let me ask you try to pin you down on the opposite side, then. Is there something that you see everybody really excited about that you think we're wasting time on? I will I will go
3: out on a limb and I will say that I am skeptical i I, I won't say that I, we would never look at it or, or invest but I am skeptical of uh, this this uh, investment thesis around the intersection of uh, climate tech and uh, you know nfts uh, and blockchain um, I worry there's you know there's just you know hype to the square root of hype um, happening or to the power of hype happening and, uh, and people trying to, um, uh, trying to find opportunities where, you know, it's really technology in search of a market where we're really more focused on market opportunities where technology can really solve a, a major problem.
0: Yeah. I, I, listen, I'm on, you're very diplomatic. I am on record as saying that. I think that, you know, every crypto fund is basically my enemy at this point. So, <laughs> <Okay>. so <laughs> no we're in, shame in my game about that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So what um, and then for entrepreneurs who are going to want to come and see you, what's your what is your stage? So uh, seed through Series C and we are uh,
3: very excited and happy to talk to entrepreneurs who are who are building. Awesome.
0: Joe Blair, co-founder and general partner at Bay Bridge Ventures. Thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it.
3: Thank you, Molly. Great to be here.
0: All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us for an amazing week. Jason is off to bed as he should be. He's gonna rest up over the weekend, but we're gonna be back tomorrow. Tomorrow is another day and there will be more to discuss. We'll be with you. Stay tuned.